Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Hello and welcome to the Living Out Podcast. We are a bunch of same-sex attracted Christians who love to have conversations about faith and sexuality and we're hoping that our conversations will be a blessing to you, to anyone wanting to engage with and to understand and to live out Christian teaching on sex and sexuality. My name's Andrew Bunt and I'll be your host today and I'm really thrilled to be joined by my friends Anne Whitton and Andy Robinson. Hi guys, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. We're all enjoying nice weather, I think. What a, yeah, what a treat, an unusual treat for some of us, maybe, I don't know. Now, I, I would say thank you to Andy, and I'm glad to mention this publicly. Andy really helped me earlier this week. I was in my local supermarket, and uh, talking to the guy behind the checkout, who I often seen there, and see there, he said to me, are you still a pastor? And I was so confused. I started looking at my shopping and thinking, have I bought some pasta? And I was thinking, I love pasta, but how does he know that? And then it was like the voice of Andy Robinson was in my head saying, I'm a pastor, not a pastor. And suddenly I had this like moment of realisation and was able to continue the conversation and not make a total fool of myself. So my sincere thanks to you, Andy, for rescuing me from a potentially embarrassing situation. That, that's fine, actually. Me preventing you from embarrassing yourself is now one of the finest achievements in my life. So I'm, I'm very happy. It made me wonder, do you guys have any stories of funny misunderstandings because of accents? Um, when I went to, uh, to university, so I grew up in Manchester, went to university in London and, um, and having a strong Mancunian accent didn't do me any favors. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I met people who, well, I met this girl and she asked me seriously if we had electricity in the North. <laughs> no. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She thought we were all kind of traveling around on pony and cart and all this business. Wow. Look, what I used to hate was, so I was born in Manchester, um, but then when I moved down south, everybody said, talked about my Yorkshire accent, which for anybody who knows about Lancashire and Yorkshire, that was just deeply offensive. So woe betide any southerners who think I'm from Yorkshire. That's, that's helpful. I feel, I feel sufficiently warned now. That's quite helpful to know, actually. Brilliant. Well, in this series of the Living Out podcast, we are discussing our eight explore questions, which are really kind of the biggest questions that we get asked most often. You'll find them on the homepage of our website, livingout.org, right there, front and center. And today we're going to discuss a question that I reckon many of us wrestle with, but maybe we don't always actually feel comfortable talking about. Today's big explore question is, will I ever feel at ease with myself and my sexuality? So Anna Andy, what's your kind of personal experience here? When we talk about this question, will I feel at ease with myself and my sexuality? Is that something you've kind of struggled with and wrestled with? And if it is, what's been helpful to you? And what's been your journey with that? Yeah, it is something that I've wrestled with a lot, probably for my whole life. Um, I mean, I guess when I was really small, my sexuality felt really natural to me. Um, but I was aware that that obviously it was different from the people around me. So as I as I grew up um, and um, kind of developed and hit puberty and stuff like that, I realised that not everybody felt the same way as I did. Um, I felt quite isolated and didn't have anyone to talk to. And I guess because there wasn't much openness in society, I felt like it was something that I needed to hide and be ashamed of. And, um, you know, as, as, um, as children you know often if there's something different about us we struggle to fit in and that can be a source of feeling ashamed and feeling guilty um 
Actually, I remember plucking up the courage to talk to somebody at school and her dad was a GP and he gave me uh, via her the number of a lesbian helpline. Uh, it was all very clandestine. And then I went <laughs> off to a telephone box with my 20Ps to uh, to ring it up. And it just, you know, um, it, it felt like something, yeah, that should be hidden and that I should be embarrassed of and ashamed of. Um so I guess, you know, a lot of my teenagers were trying to, to work that out. Um, and I, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy being me much, to be honest. But uh, I thought when I went off to university, that was a chance to to fully express my sexuality. And I guess I was hoping that I would become comfortable with it. Um, so being able to be fully open about being gay and to live that lifestyle Um and then I was kind of uh, ambushed by God, which <laughs> sort of uh, made that a bit weird. Um, I, I guess, I guess I'd like a lot of people put all my hopes into finding a relationship, and that that would, you know, give me the sense of peace and joy that I wanted. Um, but actually, I found when I became a Christian, um, that gave me the unconditional love that I was actually looking for. Um, and I'd love to say it was plain sailing ever since, but uh, <laughs> we all know that the Christian life's pretty tough. And uh, yeah, it's been a long process of working out how to submit my sexuality to Christ um, since then. So is it the case for you, Anne, that people might assume that actually being a Christian and being same sex attracted is the reason we feel uh, unease and um, uncertain about our sexuality, but for you it's being a Christian that's helped you actually find a level of peace and ease with yourself and your sexuality. Is that the case, that your experience? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I certainly now, having been a Christian for 27 years, I feel much happier about myself and more comfortable about myself than I ever have before. And that is because... Um, fundamentally my identity is rooted in Christ but I mean it hasn't it hasn't always been easy and I've had to learn how to have good healthy friendships with women because my first instinct was cut off my emotions run away from women you know uh, but but actually having no intimacy just led to yearning for the wrong sort of intimacy and it got me into trouble so um, actually having healthy friendships with women in Christian community um, having my legitimate needs for intimacy met in really good ways um, and having friends who've been willing to allow me to make mistakes and to walk alongside me um, and people who haven't you know haven't been kind of um, worried about showing me appropriate touch and not freaking out when I fancied them and that kind of thing that's that's been massively helpful so yeah my I'm much more at ease with my sexuality now I know that my identity is rooted in Christ and not in being gay um, but I also can't ignore the fact that same-sex attraction has been and still is a massive part of my life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my story would be a little bit different. So I guess I became a Christian probably before my sexuality developed or actually roughly around at the same time. But I, I do remember teenage years feeling quite odd in terms of feeling uncomfortable. I, I think partly around school and church, actually. And, and so, again, in school, sort of feeling almost the pressure to sort of participate in conversations with mates who would talk about who they were finding attractive and suddenly be generating sort of attractions for women that weren't actually true. And, um, you know, I guess at church, and this probably as I got a bit older, sort of, you know, the sort of, so when are you going to get married conversations where you kind of say, well, you know, maybe, who knows? And that all felt a little bit uh, awkward. But I, I think also, if I'm honest, it, as I look back on teenage years, I was aware that it felt like an issue I couldn't pray about, actually. The reason I remember that was because I remember a particular moment when it was the first time I prayed about my sexuality and that was actually quite a hurdle to get over 
And it's probably looking back on it, I guess the reason I didn't feel I could pray because, well, maybe I was ashamed and somehow felt that was an area of life to keep God out of or God would be sort of repulsed by. And and so I, I suppose looking back, there were elements of, yeah, of, of unease, as it were, around my, my sexuality that took quite a while to, to get over. I think for those listening in who are still at that stage, I, I do want to encourage them it does get better. And, and actually that first time praying it through with the Lord was actually quite a big moment that led on mm. to things feeling significantly easier, actually. Mm, good. I'm struck that in both your stories, um, there's been your own uh, journeying, processing, uh, coming to become comfortable with yourself, your own experience, but also other people have played an important part. And Anne's story, particularly about how uh, relating well to people has helped, and your story, how sometimes things people say can be unhelpful to us. And I wonder if it is at both ends. There's a lot for us, the same sense, attractive Christians, to work through stuff we can do in ourselves, as it were, but actually there's also a role for those alongside us to play. And mm-hmm. I wonder maybe some stuff we could share, just talk around how can those alongside same sense, attractive Christians help people help people like us to feel comfortable with our sexuality and find a sense of ease with ourselves i i think partly about talking about it naturally so if i'm honest actually the the times the times where people didn't help me to be fair was when they didn't know actually so i i can't blame them too much it was probably a natural assumption i might get married at, at some point they weren't to know um i suppose one way people can be useful is not make assumptions actually I, I think the sort of general assumption we're all going to get married is probably one it's useful for us to lose um, but generally actually once I have told people by and large they've been massively helpful and and I think for just what I appreciate is just being able to talk naturally as part of who I am but not the essence of who I am so I don't want to talk about it all the time but actually if people raise it in a sort of fairly non-awkward way or allow me to talk about it in a non-awkward way, that's been massively helpful. Mm. Uh, And it's just meant it's been part of my lived experience whilst not being the essence of my identity. Yeah, I I, I think that's massive. We need friends who are able to... Um, you know, recognise that the process of getting things right can be messy and um, people who are willing to do community well, who are able to model friendship well to me, to pray and speak the truth. Um, I think as well, um, for me particularly when I've, you know, there have been a number of times in my Christian life where I've really messed things up. And I think having people who are willing to, just hug me and let me cry on their shoulder when I'm broken hearted and, you know, recognising that things sometimes aren't that black and white. And even if you've made a choice to do the right thing, it it's still painful and it still hurts. And, you know, it, it's good that people are, are able to encourage you and say you are doing the right thing in choosing God. But we recognise that that is really hard and there's a cost. It's really painful. Um, so, yeah, maybe not not jumping in to just try and fix things and recognize that that it's a it's a hard road and it's going to be difficult sometimes mm. i love it it's those kind of relationships isn't it, where people in, well, embody the gospel to us when it's actually about mm. mistakes we've made actually the 
yeah, the holding us after those points, the welcome, the acceptance, the love of those points is a, 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 a application or embodiment of the gospel. But then also just in those times when it is just tough for various reasons, actually the um, the love, the comfort, the care people show us, again, it's just an expression of God's heart and God's love. And I'm a firm believer that often the ways, well, one of the powerful ways we experience God's love is through his people, that actually he uh, kind of helps us, it helps us become tangible to us kind of, through that and so and often I often think these things as being a good good friend aren't they which which sounds so simple actually our culture is very hard to be a good friend our culture is very hard we so devalue friendship but actually as there's so many things in life how do you best support a person at xyz a lot of it's just a simple common sense stuff of being a really good friend who's there who's alongside all that kind of stuff which I think is kind of some of what you described there it's probably worth saying I, I guess for those who experience same-sex attraction friendship can get confusing uh, and often that can become the area which we feel most uneasy. And yeah, again, it might be somebody listening to it. This, that's where they are uh, at the moment. You have a good friendship and suddenly attraction comes up and there's just a kind of angst about that, which can be uh, pretty painful. Um, I think actually for me, that's where learning to pray things like that through has just been massively helpful, actually. So partly to be able to be honest before the Lord you know that this friendship is beginning to feel difficult it means a lot to me because I need friends but it's just becoming slightly overwhelming and I think one of the things I'm really grateful for over the years is having friendships that have meant a lot to me begun in my mind at least to become confusing being able to pray that through and actually over time those friendships have ended up settling back down again Mm. such that Actually, they're good friendships, but without the angst. And partly, I think, does want to, I think, encourage anybody listening for whom same-sex attraction is a personal issue and probably can resonate with this, friendships can be difficult. Do talk it through with, above all else, with the Lord. Actually, it can be useful to talk to others. But friendship is something the Lord gives us as a good gift. And don't, don't run away from friendships because of fear. Yeah, I feel like I think two other things I found helpful in those contexts because hugely relate, and I think every same sex attracted Christian I've talked to <laughs> relates to their the complexities that converge in friendship. One is, and one has to navigate this carefully. But I found actually focusing on knowing that my friend really does love me actually protects me from looking for the wrong sort of love or love in the wrong places. And so it seems so counterintuitive, but actually developing a deep, meaningful relationship with a guy where I know he really loves me as his brother in Christ is a much safer position for me to be in than to have a more kind of half-hearted friendship where I'm not quite sure what he feels about me. I'm not quite sure of him being loved because I so easily then <clears throat> look at other places or other forms of that relationship to, to find love. So I found that um, really helpful. And also, I'm just learning far too late in the day, really, just to not panic too quickly. Uh, you know, we're, I'm just realising how often, across all manner of things in life, I just feel, you know, we feel all manner of things every day, you know, and actually a lot of them are fleeting or are not going to last, they're going to go off, you know. If one day I get home out with my mate and I feel, I just, I feel unsettled by that, the next day it's usually all right and I'm just learning, not, not to say it's not important and not to say it can't become problematic and we shouldn't take things seriously, but I'm learning that I freak out far too quickly and that actually makes the thing bigger in itself. And sometimes just pausing, saying, I feel this today, I'm accepting that, I'm going to kind of leave that in place, I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to see how things are tomorrow or next time I see what that has just been really helpful for me. Mm. 
Yeah, I can relate to that because I think my early strategy was run away, you know, don't make friends with any women that I could possibly ever be attracted to. And you just end up in a very lonely place with no friends there. And I, I think God can redeem things and, um, yeah, God can transform my attractions into something beautiful. And I think like you said, um, Andrew, it's about loving people the best possible way. And the best possible way to love somebody is to want God's best for them. And that isn't having a sexual relationship with me. It's, you know, wanting them to experience sexual holiness and an intimate relationship with the Lord. So yeah, I find that really helpful. For me, I think when I think about this question, I don't actually first think of my sexuality. I more think of my experience of, I guess, my embodied being and my gender. I've I've had more discomfort and unease in my gender than I have the fact that I'm same-sex attracted. Part of that was in my childhood, and various people know this, I share quite often, there was a period of my childhood when I really did believe that although I'm a boy externally, I was a girl internally. And I had this fear that I'd get pregnant someday, didn't know how these things work, and my kind of big secret would be found out. And that, that abated that I naturally went away as I kind of hit teen years and puberty and stuff. But there was this real um, sense of disease about being a man and this sense of not feeling like I made the cut, being really uncomfortable in all male environments, all that kind of stuff, and really kind of, in reality, wanting to be one of the girls. So I didn't believe I was a girl, but I kind of wanted to be, I would say things like, well, he would say that because he's a man, which is saying, you know, the men are over there like that, me and the girls were over here. Or I hated snag dudes. And actually, honestly, I had this sort of secret desire and wish that one of my girlfriends would invite me to a Hindu because I felt much more comfortable and comfortable in that kind of um, environment. And so I think for me, that was kind of an underlying thing for quite a long time, which I wasn't overly aware of, I guess. It was kind of just so part of my experience. It was one of those things you don't, you know, it's like a fish not noticing the water. But then working through that in the last few years and, and realising I'm a man because God who says I'm a man because of how he's created me. That's an identity given to me. And kind of like the solid, static, uh, stable nature of that is not that I'm become a man or I'm a real man when I act in a certain way or when I fit into the box like other uh, men are. But actually, I'm a man because God says I'm a man. And so my likes, dislikes, my personality and stuff um, don't matter of that. Don't change that. And so for me, it's been a lovely example, a part of my story, my journey where God has taken an area that was really quite difficult. And I felt it's very uncomfortable with how I was. Uh, and really helped me to find great ease in it just because knowing no I'm a man because he says I'm a man that can never change and I wonder that can help lots of people I mean obviously this is kind of overlaps with the transgender question and I don't at all think that for people with quite severe gender dysphoria this is the answer it's not as simple as that but my experience the more and more I've talked about this is loads of people feel they don't make the cut as a real man or a real woman loads of people don't feel they fit into the box of the kind of classic stereotypes and find incredible uh, freedom actually in knowing that sense of a given identity so I think the whole thing of ease is much broader than just sexuality and for many of us whether the same sexuality or not can go into the kind of area of gender as well you're listening to the living out podcast helping people churches and society talk about faith and sexuality for more stories resources and events visit our website at livingout.org So I guess one of the big issues when we're talking about um, being at ease of ourselves and our sexuality is uh, the experience of shame. Uh, and many same-sex attracted Christians, and actually many same-sex attracted people, gay people across society, kind of identify um, or report experiencing shame. Well, let's just think a bit about that. Why do you think it is that same-sex attracted people are, are often experiencing shame? And what is it that we as Christians can, can offer and can do in that context? 
I think sometimes um, we create a culture where um, we, we make gay people more feel more ashamed so sometimes um, our culture or our teaching makes it seems like homosexuality is a worse sin than other things or you know something that it's not okay to admit that you struggle with and I think that's very damaging and you know I am um, I hope that some of the stuff, some of the resources that we have at Living Out will help churches to create a culture where people can be open and honest about what they struggle with. Um, I think sometimes, um, I mean, we're guilty of this in churches in lots of different areas, but sometimes people project the image of being sorted. And um, I think it's easy to look at kind of, you know, married couples in church and think, oh, they've got it all together. They don't have any problems. And, you know, we know if we really think about it that that's not true. But uh, yeah, uh, I think sometimes we, we create those uh, environments where it feels like it's it's a secret that we can't share with other people. Um, and sometimes maybe we've been rejected or hurt in the past. Maybe we've tried to be vulnerable or open and that's not been handled well. Um, and that makes mm-hmm. us feel like this is something that, you know, if people knew this about me, they would hate me or reject me. So I think those are some of the, some of the reasons why um, we sometimes feel shame about our sexuality. Um, and I guess... There's a distinction really between um, shame about our sexuality and then shame about um, what we've what we've done with it. So for me, you know, I talked a bit earlier that I'm in a place where I don't feel ashamed of my sexuality, but I am ashamed of some of the things that I've I've done with it. I have done wrong things with it, um, and the answer to that is the answer to to all sin, which is repentance and receiving forgiveness in Christ and knowing that Jesus has covered all my sin. He knows what's in my heart and he knew what I was going to do before I did it. Um, And I haven't disqualified myself from his love um, because there's nothing that he can't forgive us for um, if we come running back to him. So um, there is often a sense of shame for people, but there's always a much bigger sense of hope um, for anybody who's messed up with their sexuality, uh, whether that's in a same-sex relationship or otherwise, um, there's a really helpful blog on on our website by Dan Reed. Actually, it's called "How Can I Find Freedom from the Weight of Sexual Sin," and it's just brilliant because it's the truth of the gospel applied in this area that there is nothing too bad that can't be forgiven by Jesus. I think there's, it's always useful to hold on to the, the sort of distinction between temptation and sin, I think. So so actually recognising we will experience temptation, not being ashamed of that, that's, you know, that's true of all Christians, uh, this side of a new creation. There is a right sense that we should be ashamed of sin, if that makes sense. So when actually that temptation does fall into conduct or... You know, thought stuff that we've just indulged ourselves in. Yeah, there is a, a right sense of, of shame there. I mean, wonderfully, gloriously, uh, the cross uh, covers it, so we're not to wallow in that shame at all. And um, this certainly isn't the, the unforgivable sin. But part of it, I, I think, is is how do you how do you learn to sort of fight so that that initial temptation doesn't turn into uh, sin? Um, Ed's got a a really helpful piece on the website uh, about sort of coping with ongoing same-sex attraction so that that actually the initial how do you deal with the initial attraction so that you begin to praise God for the beauty of the person rather than sort of want to possess them in a, a sort of sexual way uh, and so I, I guess one way of dealing with the the shame question is also beginning to see the difference between temptation and sin 
and actually learning to fight that at an early stage. That's also part of the wider thing that was just realizing what we experienced with those who experience same sex attraction is different from in type, but not different from in other way from what every person, every Christian experiences. And I think that one of the ways the church, unfortunately, historically, and Christians have uh, fed into the experience of kind of LGBT shame is by singling out gay people and, and even um, same sex sexual sin as somehow different, somehow worse, or a totally different kind of class to uh, other sexual sin or just other other sin in general. And that inevitably makes people feel ashamed because they feel they are particularly bad. They're the ones kind of um, separated out. And I think actually just reminding us that actually we're all in the same boat in a sense. And, and one of the things that we seek to do is just try. Uh, and remind people actually everything that is the kind of biblical uh, engagement with our experience is the same thing as biblical engagement for every person actually helping uh, us thrive and flourish for us to faithfully follow Jesus is actually the same as for any person seeking to faithfully follow Jesus just it's applied to a different experience or different expression of that experience. I mean I I think the encouragement is I I think that's changing so I, I do think we're in a different place on that within the church to where we were even sort of 15, 20 years or so ago. So I think for me, one of the reasons I don't carry around a load of shame with me now is is partly a deep sense of being accepted by the Lord. So that, that little phrase in Romans 15, Christ has accepted you. I remember when that sort of jumped off a page years back and uh, has meant a lot to me. But actually my experience of being more open with about my sort of sexuality and actually finding acceptance from the church in 99.9% of cases actually has has just made a huge difference and so yeah part again part of me would say I I think a Christian now talk about their sexuality in most church cultures will find significant acceptance and I, I think that's just really good news yeah yeah I think you've nicely captured it there, Andy, the, 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 what I think are the two sides of kind of tackling the problem where it emerges of gay shame. One is the external. So I think I totally agree. I think the church is different now to even what it was 10 years ago, say, that actually um, gay people aren't singled out and stuff now, so we're not caused to feel shame that way. But but one thing we need to do, and still need to do society as a whole, actually, is tackle homophobia and just general kind of um, picking on the hatred of, fear of... Um, LGBT people, because what happens with shame, I think, often is there's these external experiences which become internalised, and we begin to let what other people think about us, or we assume what other people think about us, control how we actually see ourselves. And so, shame really often is an internalisation of what we at least assume what other people think. And so, actually, correcting what other people think is something we shouldn't overlook. That, but more powerful in a sense than changing what's outside is changing ourselves and that's what you said Andy about just knowing the acceptance of God because the reality is in a sense you can't always change the game but you can take yourself out of the game and we need to work to change the games so that doesn't happen in society and churches but even more powerfully is to say actually I'm not going to be shaped by what people think of me because of my same sex attraction or whatever else it might be actually I'm going to be shaped by who I am uh, in God who he says I am what he thinks about me I think for every Christian, having a solid understanding of an experience of who we are based on what God says about us is the freedom from shame for any number of reasons we might experience it. And that probably won't be a one-off, actually. So, I mean, all right, I, I just mentioned the moment when Romans 15 jumped off the page. 
But actually, that is a sort of daily reality of again and again, day by day by day, pressing into, I'm a brother of the Lord Jesus, I'm a child of God, I'm completely accepted. Uh, you know, there will be a constant battle uh, to believe that, partly because we do have an enemy who will want us to yeah. feel the opposite. So I, I agree with you. It, 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 it's needing that acceptance both within ourselves and, and from others. And that is available it will just be a daily reality of pressing into the truth of it. Yeah, and an active thing. I think I wonder if some of the Christian circles, we, we talk a lot about the fact our identity is rooted in what God says about us, but we're quite kind of passive about it. And actually, it, it's, it's all really true. We don't do anything to make it true, but to experience it actually has to be a very active thing. You say we've got an enemy, the world around us isn't believing that, our instinctive nature doesn't believe that, and so actually being very deliberate about it. I've talked in some places about the fact when I was working through some some self-image issues as well, I think particularly related to my sexuality, but just how uh, a friend kept uh, talking about Zephaniah 3, which talks about God rejoicing over us and delighting over us. I, being the good little geeky academic I was, tried first to prove it didn't apply to me. I failed at that. And then began to kind of read it and pray it. And I kind of thought, well, this is true of me. I'm not believing this. I've got to commit myself to, to dwelling on this and kind of read it, prayed it time after time over a period of days and a period of weeks. And at the start of doing that, I really didn't believe it. And I was slightly annoyed by it. But as time went on, I gradually became, it kind of, it wore me down, as it were, and got deeper and deeper into my heart to realise this is true. God does love me. He does delight over me. He does sing songs over me. But it was a real battle, actually, to get what is true to actually be something I was experiencing as true and had to be very yeah, deliberate and active about that. So so maybe that means a shout out to someone who maybe is experiencing shame about their sexuality or anything realize actually that there is maybe freedom from that to be gained but actually take some work and why not confide in a trusted christian friend and think about what are the the truths and the word of god that can help you and how you with the support of a friend or two can actively seek to move forward in that so what is true actually becomes something you experience as true yeah there's actually a really helpful article on our website by a guy called rob wood uh, which is how can i find freedom from shame um it's really good biblical um, way of just reminding us of the truth of who we are in Christ and how we can live in the freedom of the gospel. Um, and there's something that, that I wrote as well um, called What's Good About Struggling with Same-Sex Attraction. Um, and it's just uh, some of the things that I've shared about how this particular struggle in my life has actually helped me to draw closer to God, um, some of the ways it's deepened my intimacy with him and some of the ways that it's helped in my discipleship. So those are two things that uh, that might help you if this is an issue for you as well i love that you've written that article Anna, about what's good about strong and same attraction because it just reminds us of the redemptive nature god uses even difficult things in our lives even struggles for good things and, and maybe that's yeah part as well actually of how we find ease at remembering god is working in these things even if something that seems difficult it seems painful knowing and seeing in our own lives the lives of other people how god is using that is redemptive and reassuring i think can be every part of how we find ease in ourselves and in our sexuality well, our time, I think, is up for today. Uh, if you'd like to explore this question further, do head to the website. You'll find articles, videos, blogs, lots of other resources to help you. That's livingout.org. And if you go to the particular page of this Explore question, you'll find articles linked there, which are specifically about this topic. My thanks to Anne and Andy for joining me. It's been great to be able to talk about this with you. And thank you to everyone for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you don't miss a future episode of our podcast. And we'll look forward to being with you again soon.